Hi, welcome everyone. Thanks for coming today. A huge thanks to Pooh Bear who just landed from LA. Um, he was delayed with all the smoke and ended up grabbing a jet just to get up here today to be with us. So thank you so much. <laughs> um, so we're excited to talk about the evolution or revolution of record labels and we're kind of all uh, even all of us are curious as to where we're all going with the future of music and technology. And I thought we could just um, start, we've got, we've got a VC, an artist, a producer, an indie label, and a major record label represented. And I thought we could just start by everybody introducing themselves quickly and then go from there. Ryan, do you want to start? Cool. Um, I'm Ryan Walsh. Uh, I'm a partner at a VC firm here in town called Floodgate. Um, we do early stage investment in a lot of different areas. We do music, we do entertainment, we've done uh, a lot of consumer stuff. We do, you know, B2B software, that really exciting thing that you're all interested in. The, um, the, uh, the fund size is pretty small comparatively, so like we do a lot of early stage investing. The, um, prior to that, I ran product development for media at Apple, so that's movies, music, and TV, and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, and uh, prior to that, I was head of product for Beats Music, and so I came to Apple through the acquisition. So I have definitely done deals with the Indies, um, and Merlin, and the Majors, and the Collecting Societies, and a few other groups of people that were both helpful and nefarious. <laughs> Happy birthday, everybody. My name is Pooh Bear, um, or Jason Pooh Bear Boyd. Just, um, just in case you know my real name, I'm a songwriter, producer, um, and um, just um, I'm happy to be here to discuss the the topics. Um, I've written a few songs. Um, my 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 last um, hit record that I'm a part of is called Despacito. It's um, big big record. Thank God. I'm just happy to be here. That's it. And as an artist, you have the best mic technique of all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> My name is Philip. Right. <laughs> um, uh, hi, I'm Philip Kaplan. I run DistroKid. Does anybody know DistroKid? Cool. Um, if uh, if you don't know, uh, we are a, a distributor, a, a music distributor, uh, or aggregator, as we're known. Um, we help artists get into uh, the various online stores and streaming services, and then we collect their money, and then we give them the money. Um, and we have uh, we put out almost a thousand albums per day, um, from I don't even know 150,000 artists or something, um, and from very tiny artists to very major artists and people who've gone from labels to us and people who've gone from us to labels. Cool. My name is Max Weinberg. I am not the drummer for Bruce Springsteen, as I've already disappointed many people today. Uh, I do head up marketing for Geffen Records. We are in the unique spot uh, as Geffen, where we are both a major label and we have an independent uh, management company as well. As well, we manage both artists and writers and producers. And as on top of the 1,300 or so of the most legendary artists of all time on the Geffen back catalog. Great, thank you. I did want to check in with you guys because we wanted to make sure that we tried to angle the panel to address the audience. So I wasn't sure. Can you raise your hand if you're an artist in the audience? And are you an engineer or in the tech tech world? Can you raise your hand? And then other outside of that. So what are some of the other? I mean, other. What are you? What are you? From? Okay, so pretty much everyone in the entertainment, tech, or music space somewhere. Um, all right, so Pooh Bear, you're coming in hot. I'm just gonna start with you. Um, Pooh Bear and I work closely together. We probably talk a couple times a day, and he's in the unique position because he's an artist, a songwriter, and a producer. He's worked with um, so many artists that you know, from Justin Bieber to Mary J. Blige, Ty Dollar Sign, everybody you can think of. And he's recently uh, started his own record label, which is theoretically an independent record label called Birthday Music. And so he's had the unique experience of being able to ask this question, do I want to be an independent record label or do I want to or need to partner with a major record label? And you've released one song so far off Birthday. And do you want to just talk about how that's gone? 
Yeah, so um, I was just really excited. At first, I was like interested in like, you know what, I'm going to partner up with somebody. And then I had a couple meetings with um, with a streaming service. Um, and they just kept pulling me to the side. And they're like, look, if you're not really going to press up CDs and you're not going to really go to radio, doesn't make sense to just give that big of a percentage to a label. You should just do it on your own. You're going to kill it. You're going to do great. And I got really excited and I got worked up and I'm like, yeah, Jacqueline, let's just do it independent. We don't need anybody. We don't need any help. And um, we put out my first single with an artist named Anita, which is, um, she's out of Brazil. And um, it, you know, thank God it, it's doing well, it's doing good, but at the same time, it's it could be doing way, way better if I had a real infrastructure and if I had a real team of people who were focused and dedicated on making it big. And it was just like a real harsh, you know, reality um, check for me because I'm thinking, okay, I'm gonna go off and I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna um, own my masters and I'm gonna kill it and we're gonna, I'm gonna pay everybody and make sure everybody's happy and do it again and again. And then I learned, I'm like, you know what? It, it For me, I'd rather have the help you know, of a, a great team that could come in and really have a plan and have like, you know, a real direction for my music. And with the type, the caliber artist that I have on my album, I just figured like, you know, I don't want to just put out these songs with, I have, my, I have a Justin Bieber song, I got a Jay Balvin song. So I'm like, I can't experiment with these major hit artists. It's going to look really bad on me if I put out these songs and they don't really connect with the people, it's gonna look like I'm failing. So for me, I had to just come up with a, you know, like really decide, like I definitely needed help. And, you know, it might not be help for the length that most artists do, you know, album or, um, or license deals for, but at the same time, I know I need help to set up my first initial infrastructure so that the world even knows. There's so many people that don't even know who I am and, you know, for me to just try to put out songs with big artists, it's just not good enough. And it's just, I learned, you know, with, with Anita that I need help. And it, it it's really just, it was a rude awakening because I'm thinking I was going to go out and really kill it. And I, you know, I submit, you know, to, to the labels and I'm, you know, now finally, you know, decided to partner up with a label so that I don't just put out these great songs and that nobody hears them. It just, it would be a waste of great music. So... I would have to say I started off initially being pro-independent, like, let's go. And then once I put out my first single, I was like, oh, wow, I actually need help. So, Right. So, Phil, yeah. like, so artists want control over their careers, but they also don't want to lose out on the financial upside of having wide distribution. Like, where's the balance? Like, what, where do you see the balance? So... Um, so that, that makes perfect sense. So we, we have a lot of... Um, bigger artists uh, who, who, who go independent with varying levels of success. We just put out Will Smith this week. Um, we did Ludacris a little while ago. And then we have a lot of, um, and, 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 and there's a lot, there's sort of, there's a lot of pros and cons, you know? So it, yes, as like an independent, you know, distributor, it'd be great for me to say you don't need the labels, but there's a lot of things the labels do. Um, and part of it is sort of having that dream team of like the radio promotion people and, and, and you can hire radio promotion people and you can hire marketing people and you can, you can, you know, if you, if you have the money, um, you can, you know, you can finance your own videos and your own recordings, all that stuff. So a lot of artists don't need that kind of thing. O on the other hand, when one of these major artists needs like, like a photo, like resized, like they're trying to upload a picture to like Instagram and it's the wrong size. And they're like, what do I, how do I do this? <laughs> Which is like a, a you think of it as a totally minor thing, but if 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 you're like an artist who just always has had a label like do these things for you, um, you're just sort of hitting your head against the wall uh, time and time again. So the the most um, success we see, as you would imagine, are artists who are already internet famous and are super good at marketing. Like we're super popular with the big YouTubers, and many times the YouTubers who are you know if you have 10 million subscribers on YouTube, you can go number one in a lot of these services because their DNA is is marketing um, and getting this kind of stuff done. But yeah, if you're coming from like sort of the Justin Bieber world where like, yeah, he's got, obviously he's got like a mega following online, but like his, his DNA is like the art, not the, not the marketing part of it. And Justin's a really interesting case model because he, he actually started on YouTube, right? So Justin Bieber was a YouTube yeah, artist, a really independent. Touche. You used YouTube 
to to le leverage his career really successfully, but then himself, of course, found found himself with Universal and has has had a lot of success from there. And I wanted to talk about um, listening today because I, I was really curious about this, and I started researching it because we discovered with Pooh Bear's experiment that just because you're Justin Bieber or Anita or, or a certain artist doesn't necessarily mean you're going to reach as many people as you would without a label. And so the question was, how are people listening to music? And the majority of people are still listening to music through radio, which was really surprising to me with all the hype about um, streaming. And so, Max, maybe you could talk about a little bit about listening and how what are major labels doing Sure, I mean, still I think one of the, the important things to look at right now, and you probably know the stat, the exact stat better than I do, is this, what, ten to 15,000 new tracks are ingested every week into the, the major DSPs. Um, could be right around that number. I actually don't know. Okay, it's around, it's around that number. Uh, how are you going to get above the fold there? There's, you know, you're against a lot of noise. There's a lot of competition out there. Uh, the great thing about having a major label behind you is we have the resources to get to every single DSP. We have marketing. We have infrastructure for videos. We have, as... Universal, we have 70-something offices around the world that can help you in every international territory you possibly want to get into. Uh, and then radio being a big one is there's not going to be a lot of songs on the radio right now that aren't on a major label um, for a huge variety of reasons, cost being a big one, uh, access being a big one. Uh, and that's really how you break a song into the absolute top 40 mainstream is still radio. You, almost 99% of songs need that. Um, you need to build to that. And there's only a few songs that go right to top 40 radio. Uh, but we, we can help maneuver to get you to that point where you have the analytics and the data behind you to get to the point of radio. And if you get to radio, chances are if you have a top 40 radio song, you're, you're pretty set. You have, a, a better, you have a music career behind you. So, Ryan, you're in technology and VC. Do you think listening is going to change? How is that going to evolve or revolutionize? Um, well, so... I guess the benefit of being in VC and not either being an artist, an indie, or a major is I get to say lots of different things. Um, and that is, like, ultimately, I don't know. If, if you think about, like, you know, if you're, I mean, agree that the stats say that radio is really important, but I don't know. Do you feel, like, really strong about being on the side about promoting radio plays the next 25 years of music technology? Probably not. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. Like, you'd be at the SF radio conference, which doesn't happen. So, like, the, 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 um, so, okay, great. So, probably things are going to change. Maybe not fast, maybe not slow, but I'm guessing they're probably going to change. Uh, and radio doesn't have to necessarily go away. It can morph and adapt. We started Beats Wanted Apple, which was a giant experiment in trying to bring radio into, like, an internet world that was different than how Pandora had envisioned it, et cetera. And it was successful in some ways and failed in some ways. Um... But I think that ultimately what is happening around listening is that the artists are making a trade-off not in their benefit uh, for listens. So you just heard Pooh Bear talk about, you know, he wanted to have his music heard. Essentially, even when I was like a producing artist, I believed that that was the most important thing for me too. The money's great, but like you want your, your art to be heard. If you really give a shit about it, you're not just trying to be famous. And so, great, I want my art to be heard, he wants his art to be heard, everybody wants their art to be heard and expressed and the emotion communicated over some channel. Nobody gives a shit if it's radio or the internet or whatever. Um, so, right now, the trade-off between um, for listens and for quote-unquote fans is essentially happening on social media. So, whether you got a label promoting it or you're doing it yourself or whatnot, you're giving away your music because the value of a recorded song has essentially been demonetized to the value of a YouTube ad. So that, that value is essentially your recorded music, your art is being given away in exchange for listens to the benefit of social media platforms. And if you want to look at the way that listening could possibly change for the benefit of culture and for art, I'd like to find and would happily fund any company that figured out a way to take the value of an artist's work away from the social media company in exchange for a fan or a listen and into the hands of the artist. Ryan Walsh, right? <laughs> yeah, no problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, how do you, can you, uh, can you elaborate on that a little bit? I mean, I'd like to hear more. What, what does that look like to you? 
putting it in the artist. Well, I mean, it's really simple. It seems like you're. I mean, like so. So okay. So like like you. You have. You probably have, have like some level of like YouTube followers, Facebook followers, fans, Twitter followers, whatever. So like you get that number. In exchange, you think you get listens most of the time. Your analytics kind of suck. Um, they're not like you can't tell if like your Twitter followers, your Facebook friend is your something else. And like maybe the labels can do a better job at this, and Indies can do a better job at this, but really it's just like munching around the margins. And so, all right, so like in exchange for reach, you're giving away your art. And so it used to be in exchange for your art, you would be paid. And so like, okay, I agree that like things change, and like you know we're all you know we're living in a smartphone era, and I'm not I'm not you know I'm I'm a I guess a tech utopian because I'm a VC, but ultimately like, you know. I believe in the reality of culture. I care about that way more than I care about VC returns. And so the, like, you know, there is an exchange that's happening there that is not, does not favor the overall advancement of culture over a long period of time. One of the, re like, people think we started Beats Music because, you know, it was another subscription service and we could compete with Spotify and we were a headphones company. It was because we cared about the creator economy and not just the, the, you know, the overall idea of making money off of it, but the fact that like, if the recorded song is worth nothing, social media platforms get all the value, the artists are just gr like, gripping for reach and like, one-tenth of what they made a few years ago. Like, basically, what happens in 20 years when a 17-year-old kid is sitting in a bedroom and makes a decision about whether they're going to be an artist, an engineer, or do something else? Surely doesn't make a whole lot of sense to be an artist. It makes a lot of sense to be an engineer. And we thought maybe we'd be good enough to put enough money back into the system by taking some of that value exchange back away from the platforms and putting it back into the hands of culture, let's just call that in general, that we would make a decision for a 17-year-old kid who's going to be the next Justin Bieber or Pooh Bear or whoever to make them have the opportunity to do that, to, to be an artist and have it be something where they could survive. And I think that that's, I mean, I don't know, if I had the answer to how you could make that value exchange a little bit more equitable for the artist, shit, I would be working on it. And that would be the thing that you see on the, on the, on the name tent in front of me. But unfortunately, I haven't figured that out yet. And I hope that some of you will do that, because I'll write you a check. <laughs> nice. So, so Jimmy Iving recently said that he thinks Spotify kind of has it wrong because they're just in the streaming and music business, and he thinks that you have to diversify in order to be successful in the future. Um, it, and it's an, it, you're making me think that's really interesting with the labels because the labels have historically been the one, the one place in our culture that will write a million dollar check to artists to create art, and if they don't make their money back, the artist is free to go. I mean, sometimes not free to go, yeah. but you know, it's not a loan. It's it's an investment into art, and the major labels are the ones that have that have made those big investments mm -hmm. into artists. Do you want to? I mean, I think the the good thing is that right now the recorded music business is up, and it's up pretty substantially this year, and it's going to be up again next year. And I could say, as as a major label, we are investing in the artists, and we do. You know, there's not many people that will put in tour support, and we will invest substantial amounts of money into developing artists who don't have much of a fan base. You know, if you have more of a fan base, you can invest more money. Um, but, you know, we, that still is possible right now. And I think while there's a lot of change, and you're right that in a macro sense, there's a lot of change that could happen yeah. in the next 10 years that will be awesome. But I look at it in the very short term right now is the whole ecosystem is growing. And it's growing at a, at a rate that is still good for creators to come in and say, five years ago, you will not gonna make, you're not going to make any money on recorded music. It just it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. Now, you can. It's, it's a lot of competition out there, and you have to be really good, and you have to brand yourself well, and you have to have a great content schedule. Mm -hmm. um, but there is, music in, or there is money in recorded music for the first time in probably about half a decade or so. The weird part about it is like, we see a lot of... A, a, these days... And I can't speak for the olden days, but a lot of our artists, once they blow up, they get signed and then they leave and do, you know, whatever. So, like, does anybody know 21 Savage? He's like a huge rapper. His, um, all, I don't know all, but a lot of his stuff was on DistroKid, just as sort of an up and coming artist um, that just really started blowing up to the point where, like, by him and his manager, 
like didn't have really much experience in the, I don't think I'm disclosing anything I shouldn't, they didn't have that much experience in like the greater music industry and so would call me for advice and I'm like, I don't know, I'm just like a programmer who like puts music into the stores um, and the way, and, and then of course they get, they get signed and, and you know, then that next album goes number one. It's hard for the record label to take the credit for that because it was already, I mean, anybody, I could, anybody could have looked at my stats and been like, yes, like this guy is huge and the next thing he puts out is going to be amazing. Um, similar with a band called Jack and Jack, which is these, these big YouTubers. I don't know if, if you guys are a little over the target demographic age for that probably, but they, um, they hadn't put out an album in like three years and they were like, yeah, it's going to, it's going to go to number one just cause like everybody, you know, we have millions of fans who are waiting for this and they were right. And it went to number one. Um, so what I'll say, and I also used to be in the, in the venture capital world and in the VC world, the skill used to be, you could spot, you could see a PowerPoint presentation or meet the entrepreneur and sort of place a, and, and you were good if you could place a bet on the thing that would win. So from what I understand in the, in the music industry before I got there was you'd see somebody like David Bowie or Alice Cooper or somebody who's like kind of interesting. You're like, okay, like we're going to just like nurture you. But what, what I see now, what I do see um, is in venture capital and in the music business is the skill is no longer can I pick the winners. The skill is can I get into the winner. Like everybody wanted to sign 21 Savage. Everybody wanted to get into Uber, you know? And it's like, oh, it's the one with the relationships who can bet on the thing that's like pretty much a sure bet. I mean, that's, <laughs> you know? we're still investing in artists. And like if the artist has 10 million fans out there, I want to invest in that artist instead of one with one fan. Like it could be the greatest as, music as of all time. Anybody, yeah. And if this is the greatest music, then sure. Yeah, we've done that where you sign artists who are really small, but you are hedging less of a bet if they have 10 million fans already. Yeah, but I bet... You know, admittedly, the labels provide more services, but I bet that my VC terms are better than the label terms. Well, that's interesting. So going back to the to the research, we radio's the number one platform for listening. Then there's friends and family, and then there's downloads, and then there's streaming, and it sort of goes down from there. And so Pooh Bear, Ryan's offering to write a check, and you're a hit song a songwriter, right? So really in the music business, isn't cracking the code just about finding the best music and writing the best music? Um, I d definitely feel like that's the the most important part just because you can you can have some success with a song that's not great but when you have you know a hit record with the a team it you know the the success is you know is limitless and um, definitely feel like it boils down to having a great song um, and even with having like you said with the platform with, with social media it's it's tricky because even if you see the number 10 million it's probably really not really 10 million people following you it's probably more like you know, point, uh, you know, tenth of, it might be really 70, 80,000 physical human beings that are really following you and everything else is just imaginary, which is really heartbreaking because yeah. it's like, you feel like, oh wow, I could reach this many people, but you really can't because these numbers are all, you know, imaginary numbers. And um, so I definitely boils down to having a great song and, and, um, and then hopefully having a, a team that can really get your music and really just allow people to know that it exists. And that's like the number one thing. It's like you can have a song, you have a great song, and you can get it in front of people, then there's a chance that, well, either they're going to like it or they're not going to like it. You know, they're not going to break it down like how, how I break it down. It's like, I love that record, or I'm not really, or they're turned away. So definitely, if you can get it in front of somebody, then it, the, def, the difference would be having a great song that would make a difference and it will you know hopefully become something that's addictive and that's what a hit song is I and mean, you can't can't live without hearing it and you want to wake up and you want to wake up and go to sleep to it so definitely will say that having a, a, a import like a hit song is like the most important thing and then everything kind of else everything surrounds it and you hope that the domino effect happens or yeah. I mean the snowball effect happens where it just gets bigger and bigger well there's also I, I agree um, but we have like primarily what, what we have at, at DistroKid are, you know, what some people call middle class artists. So they're not anybody you would have heard of, but they make, you know, five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars a month on their music. Um, and uh, those people, um, A, are making a living from it in, in ways that they couldn't have before. And you can sort of bootstrap your way to making a living in music to the point where when, when some of those people... Um, are offered uh, record record deals, and we, we see this all the time. They say no, 
because they're like, I, you know, I like making my, like we have, you know, the, we have some that are like the upper middle class artist. You know, you're making 30 grand a month or whatever for music and it's pretty consistent over, and you're like, yeah, I don't want I don't want to like shake the boat, rock the boat. You know, it depends if you're a risk taker or not. But So some people are eschewing labels. Is that the right word? Eschewing. <laughs> So what, what do you guys see in the evolution of tech, technology and listening and music? I mean, AR, VR, where are we going to go? Like, what, what will labels be doing with content in the future? How will it change? I can't, well, I, I can't, I can't, I can't, I obviously know? can't speak for labels. That's been proven in the last so, 25 minutes. So for the label side, I mean, I know that like blockchain's a big one. I think it's an amazing concept and I love reading about it. It's way too far away right now to even think about mass scale on any of our releases. Um, VR is a bit of a novelty and it's cool. And there's been great tech companies who have funded some cool stuff for us that looks amazing, but it never really gets to scale. And I think AR is the exception, and that could actually be really great. And I think there's a lot of really cool stuff that can come out of AR um, and how AR is implemented in, in, in how music is implemented into AR, too. So, so yeah, I mean, the, the, there's, there's cool, you know, there's things that we're looking at with, 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 with blockchain stuff and AR and VR. But I would say the step one, before you get there, are solving the problems that people, uh, that people have, um, not the problems that they don't, they don't know they have yet. Um, so, uh, for example, um, like a lot of, and this isn't an ad for me because there's other distributors doing it too, but what a lot of distributors are starting to do are, are for example, splits. One of, the, one of the reasons why people uh, like to deal with the record label is, you know, the, the, the producer gets this percent, the, song, the songwriter gets this percent, and, you know, the, the makeup person gets that percent, whatever. Um, uh, th that, that no longer um, is, a, is a, you know, that can all be automated. Uh, other things that can be automated, you're seeing like hosting, hosted like mastering services as like a producer, maybe those are like the devil, but you know, that for enough, for a lot of people, it's like good enough, like, you know, hosted mastering stuff, hosted DAWs, like just ba like all those little tiny things that people have to deal with, a lot of that stuff can be automated. So that's kind of like the, sort of the future. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, in a way, like you can sort of take what, and, and a big one is um, getting advances too and raising money, you know, and I know we were talking there, there's ways that, that in, you know, one thing a label still has is money, can give you a big advance. Um, some, a lot of people don't need the big advance if you're already a successful artist, but if you're not, you do. But there's ways, as everybody knows, with crowdfunding and stuff like that, that you might not even need the advance anymore. So if you can sort of disrupt every little thing that a record label does, which is a lot of stuff, um, each one of those is a potential business. Interesting. Um, Pooh Bear, I wanted to ask you, you've been working a lot, you've become really close with Skrillex. Over the last couple of years, you guys have written some amazing songs together. Um, and he's, you know, he's really cutting edge on technology and EDM. And then you're more of a classic producer. Do you use samples and stuff like that? Talk about technology in the studio and the future of that. Um, I, you know, working even prior to working with, with Skrillex, um, I just never really believed in sampling just because I always wanted to be the one that is sampled. Like, I always want, like, I just want people to, like, remake my songs and cover my songs and sample me. And I don't really like using my, if I use a melody, I don't even like using my own melodies twice. So I, like, you know, I never was into sampling. And I got into some things where, I wrote over some stuff, over some music that nobody told me was, you know, a, a Led Zeppelin sample. And I ended up, I had started off with like 30%, ended up with like 1%. So that was like a, a learning experience earlier on in my career. I was like, all right, no samples. Everybody, anybody I'm working with, I'm asking like, is this a sample? Because I didn't know, a Led, I didn't know what a Led Zeppelin guitar loop sounded like. Um, and then, but, and then working with, and then it's cool, even working with, with Skrillex, he is on the same page, but on a, on a, on a technical side where he's creating his own sounds. It's like, so when you hear the music, you know, that we're doing, you won't be able to just get those sounds from uh, a sound module from, from a guitar center or, so he's on the, on the same page and he's creating his own loops, his own samples. And then from there, we're creating original music and um, original content and therefore, you know, for, for us, it's just way cooler to, to be the trendsetters and, and say, this is what's next and listen to these sounds and sonically just be, always be a step ahead of everybody. And um, so that would, I would say that 
you know, sampling is definitely not, I definitely don't, I mean, I'm not going to knock anybody who does it, but for me, like, I made a living off of writing songs and definitely wasn't, you know, sampling definitely took away from my, from my money, um, but, and then with Skrillex, he's just on the same page, but, you know, technically just making these new sounds and always pushing music forward, and I think together we're kind of like, definitely on the same um, path of not really sampling but kind of like creating what's next to be sampled like we hope to be we hope that everybody samples our music you know in the next five or ten years so i got a question uh yeah hold on. i got a question for you then would you like so there's a platform called splice where you can take like loops and samples there's like a marketplace for sounds like would you ever consider monetizing your your sam- sounds that you create so that you could be sampled one thousand percent and we can talk about that right after the panel. Uh, wow. Wait, wait till you get to... I, I, by the way, I, I can't write a check for Splice. Like, I just know the guys. I was just... It's an interesting platform. No, for sure. That's a good point. And there's the, them and there's a few other people who are working on... Right? You not only put out, like, the new, you know, Rihanna song, but you put out all of the, all of the stems and then other... Right. You know, and you, you make yeah. money from that. Um, uh, wait till you get to sampling Inception. The uh, the ludicrous track that we put out sampled the intro to Thong Song, which itself was a sample. Right. <laughs> so you got yeah double triple samples. That's yeah, when yeah. you get down to no money at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You just start owing. You start owing. You start yeah. owing people money. You like how do I owe you money? I thought, <laughs> Every stream you have to pay together. Together. Yeah. 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 Like wait a minute. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome. I, I was really surprised to learn recently that Pooh Bear actually doesn't really play instruments. He sings all the parts. So his process is, you know, you go into the studio, yeah. sing all the parts, yeah. and then the musicians will all play them. And yeah. you seem pretty traditional in terms of musicianship and yeah. expecting people to really just show up and be able to play and, and come up with original ideas. and. It, yeah, yeah, like um, I'll, we'll come up with the like, cause I hear it and I know it. I never got into the chords and the, I play trumpet, so that would make a lot of sense for me to be able to write top lines because trumpet lines are always like the melody, the verse, and everything. So, but then when it comes to the chords and, and constructing, like even with Skrillex, he'll draw in the chord. Now you know it's like we're just so advanced now with technology. You can draw in a chord in in Logic or Ableton. Excuse me, Ableton is what. I'm pro Ableton, nothing against the people who use Logic. But um, you can draw on the chords, and at the same time, you you know, you have a guitarist or a musician, and you come in, and be like, nah, Ableton, no, no, diminish seven. Like, I know the terminology, and I know what it is. I just never took the time out to, you know, to learn how to play guitar or piano. But it doesn't, it's not supposed to stop you. If you know what it sounds, if you know what the chords are supposed to be, I'm like, yes, no, don't do that, augment it. Then it's like, you still can get the same. You can still get the same, um, reach the same success, and um, and not actually have to per se play hands on, and still create, and still not be like, oh wow, you're not really creating, because if you took me or Skrillex out of the equation and you left the musician in the room, would they be able to come up with a hit? Probably not. So it still is like, you know, a, a major part of it is being able to hear and understand like what a hit sounds like, and it's just taste and being able to pick and choose the chords and put together a record and then there's a lot of times where I would just do a vocal a vocal part and then Skrillex to take it he'll chop it or he'll pitch it up or you know different tricks that we use and that will become a sample therefore it's you know it's our sample and we don't have to clear it you know hopefully one day we would clear somebody else to use it and that's kind of like you know the, the goal with, with creating music creating our own samples having musicians around, you know, when if we want that sound, and then for most of the time, we're just creating our own sounds with our voices and drawing in chords with, with Ableton. So since there's a lot of developers here and engineers and people in technology, is there anything you don't have that you sometimes are like, I wish I had something that could help me with this process? Or in, I'm putting you on the Every spot. Every day, but I'm trying to think of, like, what, what's the one from today? I don't, um, <laughs> get back, I'll get back to you on that. I mean, we use we 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 uh, yeah. Go for it. No, I would just love to have a a a, a, a module or a, um, even an app or a sound module that when you you sing a word or you sing a note that you can actually take it and put words to that note and actually manipulate and create a whole new voice. Does that make sense yep. to anybody? Yep. Where you actually don't even right now, you don't need to be able to sing to sing now with auto tune and everything. But what if you could just take actually have somebody just go, 
la, and you could take that note and manipulate it into all the different notes in the in the scale, and actually put words to that note, and actually create a song with one note and one human voice without a human actually having to sing down a whole song. That would be amazing, yeah. and that would help us. Whoever can create that, I would love that. <laughs> all right, that's my idea. Okay. That's a good. That's a good. That's a good idea. That's a good idea. There actually, there, there's 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 articles about that kind of technology. Not to get off off base. I'll, one sentence on it to create like you know if you wanted to make like fake news or whatever you could like have a video of somebody saying something that they didn't actually say but it's their voice and their mouth moving and everything you're like oh I just saw like this politician said this thing and it's like no he actually never said that wow. even though it's on video dude wow. the pitches yeah. I see related yeah. to that stuff are so crazy <laughs> Like, I see a lot of crazy things as an early-stage investor. By the way, you want to talk to some crazy people, early-stage investment, get into it. Um, the, uh, but, like, the, the, the stuff I see around that is crazy. Like, what you're talking about is entirely possible. Um, entirely possible. I would say, like, so, I mean, I don't know if I have a specific thing that I want, but I have a, I have a request for the engineering team in the room and that is like the biggest problem and I think Jimmy saw this a lot at Apple um, or not at Apple at Beats and then eventually you know sort of continued this conversation at Apple to some degree is that like if you look at it like like LA is art and SF is technology we've already lost like the the um, and there's like there is a uh, there is a an inherent maybe disjoint status between the technology that we create and the art that we wish to promote. And like in the way the great technology becomes part of culture is by making, by creating a story for the general public and artists especially to be able to understand. And so while you're building the next thing, like it does not matter if it's got the coolest technology on the planet at all, doesn't matter. It does not matter if it uses AI or machine learning or any other piece of alphabet soup. What matters is that it tells a very clear story for a group of people that you consider to be your audience, and it tells them how to use it and how it's going to make their lives better. When Silicon Valley catches up to LA's storytelling ability, or when LA's storytelling ability catches up to Silicon Valley's technology ability, we will have some serious ass shit in our market that's going to be awesome. But until that happens, it's still going to be a bunch of tech people doing tech stuff and a bunch of music people doing music stuff, and that is wildly inefficient. And so if you're going to build something, consider that. I may be wrong. What about us New Yorkers? (laughs) They're in the middle. (laughs) (laughs) Just depends on how far... I mean, yeah, in Greenwich Village, you're one thing, but then you get down to Wall Street, very different by ball of wax. (laughs) I wanted to touch uh, quickly on the changes that recently occurred with the SEC that allow for equity investing. So you guys are all familiar with crowdfunding. So you, you can you know, fund your favorite artist, new album. The SEC recently changed the rules with, that allow you to equity fund. So you can actually be an investor in an artist uh, record, record or tour or career. And I haven't really seen that. That change happened in 2015. It kind of came online in 20, the end of 2016, but it's just now being sort of implemented. There are two existing um, models that are out there. One's called Royalty Exchange, and one's called Vest V E Z T. Um, but those are more uh, models where you can just buy a piece of a songwriter's song or a royalty stream. And I'm wondering if you guys can envision any situation where you could have fans investing in artists on the front end and then participating also on the back end of the revenue stream as opposed to just being the people that buy the T-shirts and the CDs or the streams. I think that's a terrible (laughs) idea and nobody should do it. That way I'll be the one to do it. No, actually, I think that's a really good idea. Um, for for fans to be able to invest, yeah, there's a whole lot of. It used to be like, does anybody know about like Bowie Bonds? Was like this famous example, David Bowie. <laughs> Basically, you could buy a piece of David Bowie um, of his catalog. Uh, but this was in the olden days. You needed to be an accredited investor and have mm-hmm. more than a million dollars and all this stuff. But um, yes, now there's there's new rules, which some of which I just learned. Um, where Bowie was uh, ahead of his time. <laughs> if you have a yeah, you know, if you have a net worth of a hundred thousand dollars, you can invest up to two thousand dollars, something yeah. like that. And that's that's super interesting. And I think somebody is going to come up with that. That person might be in this room. 
might be on the um, stage. I don't hey, know. Max, do you do you like what? <laughs> like, n- not specifically on that platform, but I'd be interested to hear this. Like, what do what do you think that the um, like what do you what do you think the position is of trying to get more sources of uh, revenue? Like, that could be a really big uh, boost to the labels. Like, if you had the ability to have even more capital to go out and more, like m- even more that you could work with besides the current capital that you have. So I'm going to take that from not the label standpoint, but the manager standpoint. Okay, and perfect. Say, as a manager, great. that's great. And yeah. I think that it's great when you have to have multiple streams coming in, too. If it's right. just recorded music, um, that's limiting. That's too much. But like, yeah, got it. For instance, we manage this artist named Poppy, who's a super viral artist, has yeah. millions of subscribers. Yeah, Poppy. Um, and she she's one where she has a... a limited series on, on YouTube, she has, she's touring, she's doing music, she's doing merchandise, she's doing crazy merchandising, crazy brand deals. That's one where I could see, okay, yeah. let's invest in that because frankly, she's a very expensive artist too to create all this content and needs the funding for it and could actually really use it because she'll push it out into a lot of different mediums. If it's just recorded music, I, I, you don't want too many hands in the pots there. And right. I don't really know how it works with, with some of these uh, investors. Like, do you get say in it? Is it you're just my silent and you go in there and you just you invest money and you hopefully get money out of it? Um, it could just be a little much if there's a lot in and you're just looking at recorded music. Yeah. There's a lot of legal concerns, too, about exactly. the copyright ownership and what you're investing and what you own. Yeah. Um, we're kind of running out of time, so I was going to talk about brand partnerships, but maybe we only have about eight or nine minutes so maybe we'll open up to questions if you guys have questions instead um sure hi guys uh Pooh Bear. i met you before i worked for dj city uh yeah that's right happy birthday yeah. uh hey max um brian i'm really uh, interested in your comments there uh yeah hey, i pointed right at you and you're like, yeah i'm like all right fine i did it no i'm really i'm really uh, fascinated with your passion about the whole economics of it because that's really what you're talking about is economics mm-hmm. at least from my point of view and i'm wondering um if uh, have you ever considered the potential of patrons and commissionings um as a possible solution to help further the cause of art like there has been in the course of history. I mean, some of our greatest artists and art created that still influences uh, the world today was commissioned by patrons. Um, Very rich people, usually white guys. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I'm not a historian on that. But uh, do you think there's a potential there for, I mean, Silicon Valley is full of so many potential Medicis, and we constantly hear about them giving away money and donating to other causes. Do you think there's an untapped potential in terms of the of music for commissioning and patrons? I mean, sure. I, I mean, I think that there there is that. I mean, if you let's look at uh, sort of adjacent things. I mean, like, do I think that um, you know, like, either the you know the Barack Obama Foundation or the Donald Trump Foundation is going to start commissioning music? Probably not. Um, and so, and I'm not sure. Like, and those, let's just say that those are the two most representative things of the uh, of like the political divide that that is like you know happening currently. And so, like, okay, if you bring it in from that, like those two extremes, which are probably the most polar extremes, like, how do you, um, like, do I think how far in from from that do I feel like somebody would actually um, contribute? And I think that, you know, to be perfectly honest, I haven't considered it too much. I mean. You know, a lot of the, you know, if you really want to think about it, it's a holistic perspective. Like, you know, Apple, Google, every every music streamer except for Spotify doesn't have to make money for music necessarily. It's not important to the balance sheet um, in, a, in a huge, meaningful way. Um, so, um, you know, you could, you could say that that's kind of patronage to some degree, but it's corporate patronage, which is not the same thing as individuals. Um, I don't know. The, I, I would love to see more corporate patronage, though. I think I, sometimes it, I wish that Google's, you know, the Googles of the world would become the heroes of culture. We were talking about how culture is going to die if we don't have a shift in certain platforms. And I do think there's an opportunity. There's a lot of money being made on ads and content. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I feel like there's a missed opportunity for technology companies to be heroes in that regard and that, that they've missed the opportunity. Yeah. I mean, I should, I should really passionately agree with that, considering capitalist is in my job title. <laughs> but, like, I got to say, like, I just don't know. 
Um, I don't know. I mean, I, tr I trust I trust certain functions to the corporate world, but I don't trust them all consolidated. I don't like the idea of having music be a patronage-based system because that just brings about some level of, you know, it, it, yeah, it, no, well, not just, not, I mean, I'm not even going to say patriarchy, as somebody just said in the audience. I'm going to say it brings about, it, it, it highlights and exacerbates and likely amplifies the socioeconomic divide around being, becoming a famous and or successful artist. It is not easy. And like, if, you know, if you want to look at like what, like how hard it is to do something in America by being, you know, a different color from a different socioeconomic background or a different gender or whatever, however you want to slice it, it's just as much, if not more, in music. And I don't really think that, like, giving a bunch of money to, you know, the hedge funds that own, you know, any, many, you know, any of the major, like, public corporations is a really great idea for the future of art. I'd kind of rather keep it in the family and, like, We're see how we can, you know, do it that way. We're running out of time. So Sorry. Gonna, is, are there any more <laughs> questions? Thank you, Ryan. That was a great answer. Any more questions? Hi. Can you guys talk a little bit about um, how uh, A&R has shifted towards something more data-driven? Oh, it's wildly data-driven right now. I mean, it's okay. It's still about the, the music, first of all. Every, everything you do is still, at least from our label, it's still, we listen to the song, and if it's not a good song, it doesn't matter. But there's so many tools that we have right now for every piece of data around an artist on how they're performing, how their engagement is, um, what their fan base is like, where it is, what their back, what their history is, um, and that's all factored into it. Uh, still, if it's a bad song, it doesn't matter, and if it's a good song and you still have bad data against you, it's still a good song. Um, but there's a lot of tools out there that you know, especially we see it for more proprietary tools, and I can see a lot of you know, your DSP data, especially on Spotify, where you can see that what's, what's your skip rate, what's your lean forward versus lean back, how is it performing in different playlists, and that's all taken into account when, um, you know, when, when you're looking into the A&R process. I'll say there's, there's an insatiable hunger for our data um, from all of the record labels. Um, we haven't given it to them. We have a, a little test we're doing with, with Priority Records, where if you go to distrokid.com slash Priority Records and you sign up that way, Priority, which is part of Universal. Universal Capital. Right? Thank yeah. you. Um, if you sign up for DistroKid that way and you opt in, Priority gets your, gets your data. Um, but obviously, that's, you know, it's a small drop in the bucket to like all of the you know, thousand albums a day that we're putting out. Um, so there's, there's a huge hunger for it. We're figuring it out. There, there's, there's, story, there's like an Ed Sheeran story out there that that came from TuneCore data, and they just kind of recognized it, and Warner signed it based on data. So um, th there's, you know, and there's probably people doing it who just aren't telling you or telling us because it's, it's their secret sauce. Well, really quickly, Puber, how do you find new artists that you believe in? Um, I, I'm still like really, I'm old school still. I'm still word of mouth if somebody comes to me that I trust, you know, which would bring me back to that, you back to the A&R question, it would be like trusting, like just having, like how do you trust people, how do you trust somebody's ear as an A&R and they've never actually created a hit song, it's tough, but for me, I have to trust, you know, people my, in my family or people who I, you know, who have brought me other great music and I just trust their taste and, you know, I'm, I'm not really into this, you know, looking at social media to try to find the next you know, artists because it's just so many ways to trick and fool people with, with you know, with that stuff. So I'm still like old school, word of mouth. You know, somebody's telling me like, hey, you need to check this artist out. And, uh, you know, if I love it, I love it. And, you know, hopefully we, we do a deal with it. I think we have time for one more question. Um, yes? Uh, I'm curious to... I'm going to give you a really surprising answer and say that when I'm, for stems, I usually like giving away stems. Um, especially in limited numbers, especially to the producer community, because I think that helps the original track very well. Uh, I'll run remix contests, did one with DJ City over there, it did really well. Um, and I don't think we're going to give away in, in perpetuity for years on end, but at least for a short period of time, so that the, the creator community does have the opportunity to, to use those. Um, it can help a lot with the marketing of a track. Uh, 
So I mean, I'll give an exact example there. For for that, we if you're using the stems, you're using the master recording, and so we'll content ID it if you put it on different platforms, and we'll monetize against it. Um, I mean, you can't put it up on on Spotify or any of that without letting us know. Uh, but I mean, yeah. the one thing that's coming down the pipe is um, you know just to use all, all you know. Rihanna puts out a new song, but then also puts out all the stems. So you have just the vocals and just the drums and whatever. Rihanna says, "Look," or her whoever you know is in charge of that says, um, "Anybody can use these stems, but there are certain rules. Um, you have to go through X Y Z distributor. Hopefully, it's us. Maybe it's somebody else. If and if you go through that distributor, and I'm sort of paraphrasing, you would check the box saying, "I'm using this stem from Rihanna and that stem from Rihanna." Okay, so then 80% of all of the sales from that track will automatically go to her. Um, and that infrastructure is like set in stone and there'd no, be no way to change it. Now, the, ne the next level is, so then you have a thousand people who've used her, let's say her vocals in their track. Um, then it's up to the DSPs and the stores, you know, to say, okay, we want to list this as a Rihanna track, not as you know, wh whoever the producer was, because people aren't looking up the producer. They're looking up, you know, Justin Bieber, Rihanna, whatever. Um, uh, and then and then sort of bubbling up the best one to the top. And I think at some point, like the next, you know, in the in the future, the, the biggest hits in the world might just come from some 14-year-old, you know, in wherever, some other country, who just like remixed the song, like made the best version of it. And the money, and there's a, there's a system for the money getting to the right person. And you know, there's a lot of, there's a few companies working on that. Yeah, it'd be an automated. Well, yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I'm I'm an investor in Dubset, and 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 we're doing yeah. So Dubset is a little different. They're like, if you have a big DJ mix, they'll figure out like what songs you're you know one track can actually be like fifty tracks. Um, anyway, we also do remixes too. Oh, hey, Dubset, <laughs> and we do remixes. Sorry, oh, I'm such a shitty investor. I got that wrong. <laughs> anyway, go talk to Dubset in the corner. <laughs> All right. Um, anything else you guys want to add? Revolution or evolution? Do you guys want to say? Um, I want to say something. Yeah. Um, as a creative, you know, as a, as a creator, it's just when we talk about this, Jacqueline, it's just strange that like the music went through its little downfall. Now, of course, the music is is up. We're starting to make a lot more money, but it's still crazy that the most money that's being made, you know, off of our music is, you know, is the people who, you know, have monopolized the, the streaming markets and the, 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 the Googles and those big companies, they have monopolized it and they literally are using our music, you know, to create traffic to look at their, their advertising, their marketing, and they're making the most money out of it. And it's clearly they've been doing this for a long time and that's life, but it's just, it's kind of, it would be cool to figure out a way where the creators can actually make more off of, you know, everybody's just making more money than us off of our off of our, you know, our original pieces. So it would be cool to figure out a way to just for us to to make a little bit more off of our our time and our effort and our creations. DJ. On that on that note, I think we're done. Thank you guys so much for coming today. Have a great afternoon. Thanks, Jacqueline. Thank you, Jacqueline. Thank you. Thank you.